Anna Shao, and I've got Simran next to me. Hello, hello. So what we're going to do today is we'd like to do an episode on jaundice. And the reason why we thought jaundice would be a good place to start was because it's kind of a challenging history. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope we're going to give you some tips about how to approach it, um, especially if you see someone this year, hopefully, in clinics, uh, who appears with jaundice. So I thought what would be a really good idea is to start with a little bit of a reminder of the physiology of jaundice, mm-hmm. um, because that's really going to guide how we're going to do, do the um, history. So take it away, Sivrin. Thank you. All right. So um, jaundice itself is basically the result of buildup of bilirubin. And bilirubin is one of the breakdown products of red blood cells. So um Red blood cells are, they kind of stay in our blood for about 120 days. And what happens is after those 120 days, they get broken down mainly in the spleen. One of the products of the breakdown is unconjugated bilirubin, which itself is lipid soluble. And that gets carried to the liver within the blood um, by albumin. And once it reaches the liver, it gets conjugated to glucuronic acid that makes it it, um, water soluble. And once it's conjugated, the conjugated bilirubin then enters the biliary system. So it goes down the common hepatic duct, the common bile duct, and into the small intestine, um, first into the duodenum. And once it's in the small intestine, the conjugated bilirubin then gets converted to urobilinogen. And 10% of the urobilinogen gets recycled back to the liver via the portal vein, uh, whereas the 90% gets excreted in feces as stercobilin. So this whole process, anywhere along this process, um, if there's any sort of like break or break in this pathway, it can result in the buildup of bilirubin, and that can therefore result in the yellowing of the eyes, the yellowing of the skin, itchiness, and other associated symptoms that come with jaundice, depending on where, where the pathology is. Right, right. Um, so it sounds almost as if um, jaundice comes from a problem in the bilirubin cycle mm-hmm. um, and I'm guessing the liver is a really important part of it yes that's great because um, that brings on to probably the best approach to jaundice and the way I think is uh, that's good to approach jaundice is basically to think of it in terms of the liver so you have before the liver also known as prehepatic in the liver, also known as intrahepatic, and after the liver, also known as posthepatic. And all the questions will be sort of based around that. But let's start with maybe, Simon, you can tell me, what are the questions that we ask all patients with jaundice? So um, all patients with jaundice, you want to know, first of all, where, where exactly it is. So do they have, is it just in their eyes or do they notice it in their skin as well? Um, how long it's been going on for, because that can tell you about whether it's an acute onset or it's been going on for a long time. Um, and kind of getting your history with any complaint. But with your history with any complaint, you also want to know um, whether they've got any associated symptoms that you want to be worried about, besides like your red flags. So you want to know, do they have any sort of, um, do they have a fever? Do they have um, any changes in their appetite, any weight loss? any nausea or vomiting, any night sweats, rigors or chills. And that kind of tells you whether there's some sort of infection going on. And that can also give an idea as to how serious the condition is. Because when a patient presents, um, jaundice could be due to another a number of conditions. But you also need to divide up into what's the immediate 
red flag that I need to be worried about and what's the long term that I can't that I can kind of get away with yeah so by asking these questions it kind of gives you an idea of the severity of what's going on um and one thing I like to throw into that also is um other associated symptoms like any itchiness and any tummy pain because that can also give you an idea as to where you should be looking right right so for all jaundice patients you kind of want to ask when it started mm-hmm. where it started so you said the eyes and the skin was mm-hmm. where it sort of began um, and then you said associated symptoms or severity uh, signs of severity such as itchiness and pain mm-hmm. is something that's really important as well mm-hmm. um, and you also mentioned about red flag questions so um, fever, chills, night sweats, sort of looking at your infected picture, yeah. as well as nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite. Might mm-hmm. be you, you're thinking on your um, tumors and cancers. Yep, yeah, okay. that's also in your red flag as well. But, right. Yeah. Okay. And then um, I suppose thy tired, lethargic, and I guess almost weight loss as well would be rheumatological. Yeah. You probably want to think of those as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's dive in into how we'd approach prehepatic, intrahepatic, as well as post-hepatic conditions. I think epidemiologically, post-hepatic and hepatic do come out a lot more mm-hmm. than prehepatic. So I thought it'd be a good idea to start with post-hepatic. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So with post-hepatic, I think the thing that I'm most worried about is cholangitis. Yep. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And what are we looking for with cholangitis? So with cholangitis, cholangitis itself is inflammation of the bile duct due to a gallstone being infected in the bile duct. So you have Charcot's triad, which is um, the kind of hallmark of what defines cholangitis. So that's fever, jaundice, and right upper quadrant pain. Um, But there's also additional symptoms that patients can experience, like nausea and vomiting. Um, And they can also have more of an obstructive picture which is signified by dark urine and pale stools. Mm -hmm. So these are also additional questions you'd want to ask to confirm that it is a post-hepatic picture Mm -hmm. and it is cholangitis. Okay, so the pale stools as well as the dark urine, that's probably one of the hallmark questions of just post-hepatic jaundice as Mm -hmm. a... Okay, that's that's really good to know. And what about gallstones? So gallstones, um, it really depends on where... um, gallstones are they could be in the gallbladder in which case it's called um cholelithiasis yeah um it could be within the bile duct in which case it's called cholelithiasis so if it's in the bile duct that would be the post-hepatic obstructive picture so pale stools dark urine but they would not have signs or symptoms of inflammation so they would not have a fever they would not have nausea or vomiting um they might have right upper quadrant pain but it might be intermittent um, so it's more of a less severe picture. Uh, also, gallstones itself could be could actually lodge in the pancreas and could lead to pancreatitis if mm-hmm. um, it becomes infected. Yeah. So in that case, you'd want to ask for questions related to pancreatitis. So mm-hmm. do they have um, epigastric pain? Is it better with leaning forward? Is it worse when they're lying flat? And that kind of tells you whether it's pancreatitis. So yeah, it really depends on where the gallstone is, lo- gallstone is lodged. And then actually going back to if it's lodged in the bile duct itself, which is cholelithiasis, if the gallstones gets infected, that's when it's called cholangitis. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay, so with gallstones, it sounds like generically, mm-hmm. the questions we want to ask is if they've got any pain, if they have pain that's worse after eating. I heard that's... Yep. 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 Um, and then 
also screen for nausea and vomiting mm-hmm. as well as fever mm-hmm. to ensure that they aren't having the cholangitis part yep. of the condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then otherwise, um, I know there are some risk factors. Yes. So in terms of risk factors, gallstones, you, I'm sure you've heard of like the fat 40 feet. Yeah, that's tab. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you want to obviously look at your patient and see, okay, if, there's, if they're female, if they're, four, they're, if they're around 40 years old, if they're at an age where they're actually fertile and if they have any children, um, those are risk factors. Also, if they've got high cholesterol or if they've recently sort of gained weight or lost weight really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So changes in weight really quickly are also one of the risk factors. Um, and also looking at like family history. So if they have a family history of gallstones, um, and other sort of risk factors would come into play. Yeah. Um, would you want to add on to that? Do you think there's any additional risk factors that you'd be screening for? I think diet is a really uh, important yes. one as well. Yep, absolutely. Um, and definitely there's, uh, to keep, one thing to keep in mind is they can have all the gallstone picture and then they can come up with the investigation and it turns out they've already passed the gallstone. Yep, absolutely. But, um, yeah. As a student, I was quite, I sort of thought that, oh, okay, well, that person doesn't really need to manage to be managed anymore, but actually mm-hmm. that's not the case. You still need to be managed and you're still managed as if um, you've had the gallstones and you still end up usually having yeah. your gallbladder removed. Yeah, because I think if you do, I mean, you'll still have the risk factor, so you could get it again. So I guess that's it's right. better to, you know, get that prophylactic measure. That's right. So you don't get it again. Yeah, the, yeah, I think the biggest risk factor of having a gallstone is having a gallstone before. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess once your gallbladder already knows how to make a stone, mm-hmm. it will make a stone again. Yeah. Um, what about cancers and tumors? Yeah, so one of the other sort of pictures that you can see is um, uh most common one is pancreatic cancer. So that's your common painless jaundice that you've heard. So a person comes in, they've got jaundice, they have the sort of B symptoms um, or the symptoms associated with malignancy, like weight loss, loss of appetite, um, uh, and that sort of picture. And But then if you ask them if they have any pain, they'll say they don't have any pain. So in, the, in that case, that's kind of a red flag thinking that you know it could be pancreatic cancer. Um, and also, it could just be a tumor within the bile duct itself. Yeah. Yep. That's Which right. could be secondary to some autoimmune conditions, um, or it could be um, sporadic as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and then uh, also, unfortunately, you can actually get jaundice from or post-hepatic jaundice from hospital. Yeah. So there's also iatrogenic causes. Um, there's uh, there are these two procedures that you can use um, that are kind of used to help to either diagnose um, any sort of biliary pathology or it also can be used as therapeutic measures, so MRCP and ERCP. So one question you also want to ask your patients is if if they've had any recent procedures, such as an MRCP or ERCP, that can kind of increase their risk of getting Jaundice as well, yeah, because it could be there could there could be some sort of infection Mm -hmm. that could then lead to jaundice. Yeah, yeah, and I've also heard the irritation itself can Mm -hmm. also cause cause pancreatitis. Yes, Um, yes. so that's another thing to keep in mind. Yeah. Um. So moving on to the hepatic picture, Mm -hmm. um, I think the most common cause of hepatic jaundice is hepatitis. Yes, and this is especially one that captures out a lot of students. Mm -hmm. So um, with hepatitis, there are five types. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to group them into two. Uh, the two that are sort of transient is hepatitis A and hepatitis E. And those are the hepatitis that are transmitted fecal orally. Mm-hmm. So the questions I definitely want to ask 
when I think of hepatitis A and E is anything to do with funny foods. So I think hepatitis A and E are both associated with water as well as seafood. So asking them if they've had those in the past month or so. Mm-hmm. And more importantly is travel history because yep. we don't really have a lot of hep A, hep E laced foods. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it is still very much... Um, endemic in the countries especially around the equator Mm -hmm. um what about hep b c as well as d so hep b c and d is very different in terms of how you can get it it's not really associated with the fecal or root um hepatitis b is commonly associated with um iv drug use or any sort of like um blood transfusion um and hepatitis c is um associated with um unprotected sex so that's the one that's commonly uh transmitted through um sexual intercourse Uh, and hepatitis d is secondary to hepatitis b so only people who have hepatitis b can get hepatitis d and so the questions you want to ask for these is again any sort of bloodborne blood any way that they can have blood uh, transfusion if they're an iv drug user if they share needles um, if they know how to um, if they're actually disposing their needles correctly and using new ones um, and if they've, um, if they're sexually active, if they had, if they've had unprotected sex, if they know, um, the hepatitis status of their partner, mm-hmm. um, as well as themselves and if they've gotten tested. So those are some of the questions that you want to be thinking about. Okay. Yeah. And is there any way for us to differentiate hepatitis from, um, cholecystitis, especially because they're located in a very similar region? You know, they always mm-hmm. come with upper right quadrant pain. Yeah. So um, one thing one thing you can differentiate is so cholecystitis. You said right. Yeah. So cholecystitis is when you have gallstones in the gallbladder where it's infected and inflamed, um, and so they are in very different locations. Mm-hmm. Cholecystitis would likely not have jaundice mm-hmm. unless somehow the um, the gallbladder itself is obstructing okay. um, the the biliary system, in which case you'd have more of a post hepatic picture. Yeah. So darker and pale stools, but that's also a complication. Very rarely, um, other things with um, cholecystitis and hepatitis, the risk factors are very different. Yeah. So cholecystitis is your basic risk factors for gallstones, which yeah. we mentioned earlier. Your yeah. fat forty female family history, past history. Um, Hepatitis is very different. So these risk factors like any recent travel, blood transfusion, IV drug use, um, being sexually active, having unprotected sex, risk factors are very different. And even further on, if you were to do investigations, um, one of the common investigations you do is liver function tests. Um, again, the results would be very, very different. So for hepatitis, you'd see a hepatitic picture shown on the, on, the, on the LFT, and with cholecystitis, you may or may not see changes in liver enzymes, depending on how severe it is and whether it's obstructing it. So it's very, very different, even if um, you might think that they're both inflamed, they're both infected. Yeah. It is very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there, um, back to the hepatic reasons of jaundice, mm-hmm. hep- sorry, hepatic causes of jaundice, um, I think the other group that we should probably talk about is the causes of fatty liver disease. Yes. Um, unfortunately, the incidence is um, increasing every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the two that we should definitely know about is alcoholic fatty liver disease as well as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you can tell, um, an alcohol history um, uh, is very important when we mm-hmm. would like to do a jaundice history. Mm-hmm. Um, what are other... Uh, risk factors and questions that I definitely want to ask if 
I am suspect, uh, suspecting an alcoholic liver disease. So again, I think, again, alcohol history, so how long they've been drinking for, um, how much they drink, what they drink, if they mix any of their drinks. I think that's the biggest one. Uh, with alcoholic fatty liver disease, it's kind of like a progression, so where you can get hepatitis that can then become chronic hepatitis, which can then lead to chronic liver disease. And you can get, if it gets worse, it can lead to cirrhosis, poor mm-hmm. hypertension, and even further complications. So a lot of the times when you're asking these questions, alcoholic fatty liver disease can be ruled in if all of the other conditions, if you're thinking that you know they don't need any risk, risk factors for hepatitis or any other um, pathology, and they have a huge alcohol history, that's when I would be thinking alcoholic fatty liver disease. Um, maybe even a family history, if they've got a family history of liver disease, family history of alcoholism, that can also maybe increase their risk of also kind of developing that habit and reaching that point. That's right. It's um, very much a lifestyle condition. Yeah. And I think that's also quite similar to non-alcoholic fat, fatty liver disease. Yeah. Whereas the only difference is it's non-alcoholic. So Yeah, that's true. If, if you have someone who's a mild drinker, but they've, it's usually due to a fatty liver. So if you think about our current lifestyle, where a lot of people, you know, obesity is on the rise due to um, low exercise, mm-hmm. uh, poor diet, mm-hmm. um, not being physically active, mm-hmm. uh, other things such as drinking drinking alcohol could also be a part of it, but it's not probably the major cause of it. That's right. So yeah. non-alcoholic fatalities could be a diagnosis of exclusion. Yes. Where you see that a person does not have doesn't drink alcohol, they haven't traveled anywhere, they are not an IV drug user, they don't have risk factors for gallstones. Um, all those things, I kind of think of it as a diagnosis of exclusion. That's right. Yeah. And I think um, as a student owner, would you say that it would be suitable to ask about your metabolic syndromes yes yes absolutely. Yes. Yeah. so you would definitely ask about um i suppose usually in an oski stem they give you the bmi mm-hmm. but definitely do ask if they've had a family history or past medical history of having diabetes yeah. um hypertension hypercholesterolemia yeah and then even try about triglycerides as well yeah, yeah. that's really really important and i think that's really important especially with non-alcoholic thyroid disease yeah. yeah and i think something that's really important to keep at the back of your mind is that the end stage, which is kind of unfortunate, of all um, liver diseases is cirrhosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and the additional things, you can you can screen for cirrhosis in a um, history. And the thing that I would ask for is any signs of ascites, so a distended abdomen, especially mm-hmm. one that's coming quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, if they've noticed any veins appearing on their tummy, so mm-hmm. that's in reference to caput medusae, mm-hmm. as well as varices. So varices, you've got two forms, the esophageal version, where um, unfortunately it's it doesn't really give you any symptoms until the varices, which is like the veins around mm-hmm. the esophagus, starts bleeding. Mm-hmm. And in that case, they'll probably instead talk to you about a history of having esophageal varices, mm-hmm. where at one point in their life they were just vomiting copious, just like rolling out um, yep. bucket loads of blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely what yep, our teachers used exactly to talk about. Yeah, and then the other one is obviously... Um, around your rectal area mm-hmm. you can have varices in that area as well and then mm-hmm. for them they'd be more talking about whenever they go to the toilet and they mm-hmm. do number twos um, mm-hmm. they'll end up wiping a bit of blood mm-hmm. um, and if I'm not wrong they tend to be painless yes, um, as opposed to painful yep. so it's sort of like blood around the bottom mm-hmm. that they're wiping after doing their poo and it's painless mm-hmm. um, that's sort of characteristic of varices around the rectal area 
Um, and then lastly, you've also got encephalopathy, mm -hmm. which is kind of a funny one. Um, so when the liver is um, not able to clean the blood and remove all the poisons and the toxins from just like everyday eating, mm -hmm. it's kind of amazing what the liver can do. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes the toxins can cross over to the brain and cause mm -hmm. encephalopathy. And you can actually ask the patient if they've ever had points in time where their behaviors changed, their mm -hmm. personality has changed, yeah. or um, even better, ask a family member. Yeah. Because encephalopathy is basically confusion. That's so right. So you can even do like a basic um, question of orientation. Like, do you know where you are, what your name is, what time of the day it is, as just a screening question. Um, and I think even with the ascites, the fluid overload, um, along with the descending tummy, you should you can also ask for leg swelling, mm -hmm. if they're noticing swelling of the That's legs. That's right, yeah. They could also have fluid buildup in their lungs, so you can ask them on your shortness of breath, um, do they need to sleep on more than one pillow, um, do they feel short of breath when they lie flat, Mm -hmm. those kinds of questions and that can kind of tell you about the severity of the overall yeah so yeah. lastly let's have a chat about prehepatic causes and mm -hmm. as we said before these are probably a lot rarer than the other two categories that we've been talking about yeah so prehepatic causes that i think are usually around hemolysis and blood disorders mm -hmm. so i was wondering if you could go through some of the questions that you would ask just to rule out or in mm -hmm. hematological conditions yeah, so um, one of the major differentials what you want to think about is uh, hemoglobinopathies. So the two most common ones that you see is thalassemia and sickle So um, you want to ask about any family history of any sort of blood disorders. That's kind of your screening question. So you can ask, like, do you have a family history of sickle cell or thalassemia? Um, ask about their ethnicity mm -hmm. because um, sickle cell um, is more common in... African lineages, yeah. yeah. And thalassemia, depending on whether it's alpha or beta, beta yeah. is also different. So I think alpha is... I don't have your back here. <laughs> but um, I think it, in terms of thalassemia, um, the one that you... The two ethnicities that you want to think about is Mediterranean, mm -hmm. and the other one is Asian people. Mm -hmm. um, and... I think um, alpha is Asian. Okay, so and alpha is Asian. So A for Asian. Yep. And then B for Mediterranean. For Mediterranean. Just B Mediterranean. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and then another prehepatic cause is malaria. So that's also a really common cause of um, jaundice. So you want to ask again your travel history. Like, have you traveled anywhere recently? Where did you travel? When did you go? How long were you there? Did you get immunized? Did you take any prophylactic medications with you? Have you been up to date? Um, any street food, any have, did you have bottled water or tap water? So just taking a travel history would be really, really important. Um, if they haven't traveled anywhere, then you can cross out malaria um, along with your hepatitis A and your E. Yeah. Um, and then there's also uh, hemolysis as well, which could be um, another cause of prehepatic Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think if you want to rule out hemolysis, um, the good news is that a lot of the questions are already um, asked if you do ask about B symptoms because mm -hmm. hematological symptoms unfortunately they are quite vague mm -hmm. but they're characterized by having you know fatigue um, being short of breath being quite pale and you can also so those are talking about hemolysis like red blood cells lack of red blood cells mm -hmm. then you can also ask about maybe they might have the lack of white blood cells so then you're asking about recent infections mm -hmm. or recurrent infections lots of infections mm -hmm. is quite unusual um, and then you can also ask about things to do with the lack of having platelets so you're looking for lots of um, 
specks of dark spots on the skin. Mm-hmm. Um, you can ask for having uh, lots of nosebleeds recently, which is not usual. For women, you can ask if their periods are a little bit heavier than mm-hmm. usual. Um, you can also ask if they do knock themselves, do they usually get easily bruised. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also screen for hematological conditions such as leukemias with, with lumps and bumps. Mm-hmm. So um, is there anything else that you'd like to add for jaundice? Um, so I did want to say that, I mean, these differentials are quite, there's, there's quite a lot of differentials, but... When you do see someone who has jaundice, you want to think about what are your red flags, what are things you don't want to miss. That's right. So mainly, it again, as we mentioned, was your hepatic and your post-hepatic. In terms of hepatic, you always want to think about hepatitis. So think about your travel history. Think about the risk factors um, to kind of screen for someone who might be at risk of getting hepatitis. And then thinking of your post-hepatic. So inflammation infection is red flag because that needs immediate attention. So mm-hmm. cholangitis could be cholecystitis as well, which could be a complication. And then jaundice could be a complication of cholecystitis. Uh, pancreatitis, pancreatic cancer, and any recent procedures that could be causing it. So these are the kinds of the things that you want to keep at the back of your mind. And even with prehepatic, um, think about hemolysis, think about malaria, think about your fa- the family history, and kind of divide it up into that. But um, yeah, so just make sure you keep your red flags in mind, and that should kind of give you a good base yeah. yeah and we'll definitely probably do an episode about how to do a history and perhaps yeah. give you an example of one later on mm-hmm. well anyways thank you very much once again for listening to us um if you have any questions feel free to contact us at the moment we're still on email so like i said Xiao, um that's me <laughs> you can contact me on sqlim3 at student.monash.edu and Simri? Yep, and so for me, you can email me at sbho0001 at student.monash.edu. See you at another time. Thank you.